Hello and welcome yeah. to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Yeah. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I am a writer for the Ringer. And on the other line, if he can tear himself away from Tamriel long enough to talk to what me. What a wonderful place. It's my colleague, Jason Concepcion. Hello, Jason. Yeah, a little cold this time of year. A lot of vampires. In Tamriel, not in Riven LA. by civil war. But, you know, it's yeah. a, you know, a nice place to spend some time. You're back in Skyrim, all the it. way back in Skyrim from the sound of it. It's yeah, bad. We've, we've both been playing our, our Switches. I had some Thanksgiving travel. I was on buses and cars for about 10 hours, and I was just digging back into Splatoon 2 and mm. Shovel Knight. And the trips were not long enough for me. We, we arrived too soon. There is no length of bus trip that is now too long for me, <laughs> as long as I have an outlet and a switch. That's that's my life now. That's have, our life. Have you ever ran out of battery by playing? I haven't, because I usually either have some kind of backup or right. I'm an outlet. I mean, I'm a good planner when it comes yeah. to hoarding my power for my handheld systems. So we are going to have two guests today. It's been a while since we had yeah. a, a multi-guest show. We've always... Tried to balance talking to each other and talking to other people because mm-hmm. we want to do both. I think we've we've struck a good balance lately. Sure. But we're going to talk later in this episode to Jacob Wolf, who covers esports for ESPN. We promised last week that we'd be devoting some time to the Overwatch League, which starts up next week in preseason. So we're going to ask Jacob about that. But just before that, we're going to talk to a, a Reddit celebrity who has... <laughs> taken the fight to electronic arts lately and i've been writing this week about the just incredible spiraling out of control microtransaction controversy that is just dominating the discourse about video games these days over multiple games yeah oh it's it's just spreading from one title to the next and we've talked about it in relation to battlefront 2 and that's what we're going to talk to our guest connor rust about because he left the fateful comment that invited that (laughs) response from ea that became the most downvoted comment ever and led to changes in the game but it's been amazing just to see the public mainstream awareness of this issue spread because star wars is such a big brand and battlefront is so big that i think People are aware of this now who were not aware of what a microtransaction was before. So now it's spreading and we're hearing various government figures comment, you know, either in Europe, in Belgium, in France, various political figures commenting on the need to regulate this industry. And even in Hawaii, there's a, a state senator who is pushing this issue and the predatory microtransaction. So it's fascinating to see where it's going and where we want it to go. And I don't know where it will end up, but right now it's on everyone's mind. Yep, it really is. And I finally, because you know what, there's nothing really more annoying than having to manage like five different forms of currency in order to unlock like a character that you really want. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if government regulation is the answer. I wonder whether maybe we'll end up with some situation where the government applies some pressure. Congress puts the kind of the screws to the industry and maybe it self-regulates as it has in the past. Or maybe we just get some sort of disclosure as some countries have had where you just have to say, okay, there are microtransactions in this game and here's the drop rate for the loot boxes. Just because it's so opaque now, you just don't know what you're getting into really unless someone on Reddit posts it for everyone to see. And that's kind of what I've been writing about for our, our wonderful website this week it's a great is website. That there's been this series of 
Reddit people who have sort of stood up and done these analytical posts and recorded data and reported back on their findings. And it's been game after game this year. It, it was you know, an issue with For Honor. It's an issue with NBA 2K18. It's an issue with Destiny 2 yep. this week. That's been a big thing where someone discovered that there was essentially a scaling, a throttling of the amount of experience you get if you play a lot. And so there was speculation that Bungie was trying to push people toward microtransactions toward making purchases essentially it's and, a, that is a really interesting case because they're yeah. making the uh they're making the argument that they were trying to do something else with their algorithm than than right. what essentially occurred uh and you could you know, ascribe charitable or uncharitable you know notions to the reason that that happened but yeah. um yeah it's a really interesting time where these game companies are being called out for you know, the formulas they're using to uh to push their microtransactions on people and it's uh, right. the outcry is 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 changing the landscape it is and because they're not disclosing this stuff and no one is forcing them to disclose this stuff right. it's falling to just regular players and posters who are devoting a lot of time and effort and sometimes money to figuring out how these systems work and then reporting back to the rest of us and then their comments catch on and there's a big backlash and then the company is forced to respond in the case of EA or or now Bungie so it's a, a humble pulpit that these people have, but it's turned into a, a pretty powerful one because once one of these things catches on and the angst starts building, right. companies have to respond in some fashion. So they are being held accountable, but just by individual informer, informal players who have sort of taken this responsibility upon themselves. What do you think would have to happen for there to be an actual regulation passed for microtransactions or uh, you know random number generated driven rewards behind games like because that's the yeah. stuff i guess that becomes that you know like engrams in 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 destiny yeah they unlock according to a random number generator depending on what it is um depending on what the color is it will let you know like whether the quality of the item you get but you can't be mm -hmm. sure what you're going to get and i guess then you start to you know, move perilously close to gambling. Um, at yes. what point would would the government actually step in and be like, all right, we'll, we'll regulate this? It just doesn't seem like yeah. there's enough money in it yet. But really, no, that's the issue, not. right? Yeah, and it's not a, a blanket thing like all microtransactions are bad or right. even all loot boxes are bad necessarily. It's just these especially exploitative games that are essentially pay to win and also have this element of randomness. So it's extra frustrating and no one likes it. And so that's been what the big outcry has been about. And and I don't know if this has reached the the level of national consciousness where it's going to be a, right. a big cause for for representatives. But I could definitely see the, the gambling aspect because we're already seeing stories surface about people who have that addictive tendency or, or disease and these games are preying upon them in the same way that any other type of gambling does and if you regulate those other types of gambling then it's not a huge leap to say that you should regulate this type of essentially gambling at least in certain cases so I could see that happening that's not impossible but maybe it just does get to the point where there's enough of 
an outcry and public pressure surrounding this that the game companies just kind of take it upon themselves to do something before they are forced to do something. But I don't know that we necessarily need the the government coming in and saying, you know, you have to have right. games do this and, and you can't play this type of game. I, I'd rather not have that kind of heavy hand, I suppose, but at least maybe some labeling of some sort, just so you know what you're getting into and doesn't require someone on Reddit revealing it to the rest of us. So we are going to talk now to someone who has taken on that role and has had a powerful impact. Are you ready to bring on our first guest? Let's do it. All right, so our first guest today is Connor Rust. He is a 25-year-old freelance artist from South Carolina who strikes fear into the hearts of gluttonous video game publishers. Earlier this month, EA left the most downvoted comment in Reddit history, and that comment about Battlefront 2 was posted in response to a thread created by Connor, who was fearlessly riding through those Reddit streets signaling to unsuspecting Star Wars fans that the microtransactions were coming. He warned us all. And everything that has unfolded since, all the backlash began with that post. So, Connor, welcome and take us back to those simpler, innocent times of a few weeks ago when We knew Battlefront would have loot boxes, but we didn't know how they would work, and we didn't know they would cause this kind of stir. So I know you had a history with Star Wars, with Battlefront. You were very hyped for this game. You scheduled a video game vacation for yourself. So take us back to your mindset in the days and weeks leading up to Battlefront 2. Yeah, it was simpler times on the Battlefront subreddit back then. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Men were men, and the children sang free in the forums yes Yes. everyone was flying free (laughs) um pretty much everybody on the subreddit was just straight hype for the game uh Mm -hmm. everybody was really really looking forward to it because they were doing like the whole photogrammetry like it looks just like star wars kind of thing yeah and uh all the promises for the free maps and free dlc to keep the player base together unlike the first one um, all the goodwill statements like that was really getting everybody excited, but we all kind of <laughs> knew in the back of our heads that <laughs> Too you know good to be true. <laughs> it's EA; they're going to monetize it somehow. No, we were just all kind of no. like, yeah, <laughs> no, so cynical, Connor. Yeah. So cynical. No, we're all just praying that it wasn't too bad. <laughs> but <laughs> your prayers were not answered. They were not. They were not at all. So that first night when it hit uh, the EA access uh, trial hit. I booted up the game and um, went to the menu, saw the challenges and saw the all the collectible heroes and everything. Um, it did jump out that Luke and Vader were locked, right? But yeah, it didn't jump out as as much because I didn't know what right. sixty thousand credits was worth. So mm-hmm. I hopped into a couple games, pro- played probably like five games before I backed out to the main menu and saw how many credits I had made so far. And I was like, uh-oh. It was like half a credit. <laughs> yeah. It was like well, I mean, half, half of one credit. Oh, he did some quick multiplication. Uh-oh. Uh, that's not going to work. Um, so then I was just like, well, I mean, five games is like maybe, I don't know, maybe not even 2,000 credits. Yeah. You know? 
And so I saw, I started, that's when I started digging into the challenges. I was like, oh, I do remember um, one of the developers did an interview with Angry Joe on YouTube and was like, well, the main way we're going to reward players is by, uh, or reward players for playing well is they complete challenges faster. And that's where you get credits from or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go see how many credits are in the challenges. And I was like, well, this isn't a lot either. And so <laughs> I started just from then on recording how many minutes I was in the match, uh, minutes and seconds, and then how many credits I got at the end of the match. And it's just plugged in and did the simple math, you know, credits per minute on average. And that's where I got my initial 40-hour estimate from. Yeah, right. And I know that you had done similar things before you'd made spreadsheets but really only for your own personal use with previous games where you were trying to keep track of crafting and kind of mm-hmm. optimize your your character and your progression but you had never been moved to provide those spreadsheets as a public service before so yeah. what convinced you okay i'm gonna present <laughs> these findings i'm gonna educate the people i'm gonna warn them and how did you decide to do it the way you did in sort of a, a scientific manner rather than just kind of flaming the game and saying this sucks and this is terrible. Right. Yeah. I mean, as much as flaming is fun and all, and just, you know, getting on Twitter <laughs> and screaming that EA sucks, I feel like at least for the Battlefront community, everybody was really excited. And I didn't want to like turn the excitement into rage. I wanted to like turn the excitement into like, hey, let's be excited about maybe changing this. Yeah, harness the because, rage. Harness yeah, the exactly. Rage for good. <laughs> exactly. And I was just, uh, I felt like sharing my information, like everything I had up front and uh, giving people, you know, because anybody can record their match time in their credits. And so mm-hmm. I just presented my information. And if somebody else had opposing information, they could, of course, do it themselves. But I felt like educating everyone at the start as to the exact math gave us a better jumping off platform to ask for a change because that's all I really wanted was I personally wanted to see a change. I didn't want to play 40 hours to be able to play Luke Skywalker. (laughs) So I felt like if other people felt the same way, we could just go from there. Could you take us through some of the, uh, the greatest hits of your spreadsheet of your discoveries when you, when you dug into uh, the time versus credits um, information of this game like what, what were the what are the, were the truly shocking numbers well I mean <laughs> it's funny in my original spreadsheet I had this like I you will be 57 years old before you unlock yeah. Skywalker <laughs> <laughs> I had a <laughs> I had this passive aggressive section where it was like United States minimum wage seven twenty five. I like that. Shit. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and then I was just like, <laughs> hours of minimum wage to buy sixty trooper crates, thirteen hours. So yeah. it was just like it's eleven. It's eleven times more efficient with your time to go work at McDonald's right. than play this game. I can't understand why uh, why millennials and below are socialists. I think yeah, I think Star Wars <laughs> Battlefront so is part of the reason. <laughs> As right. EA sits on their ivory yeah. tower. Yeah, so what, what were the what were the really like what were the ones that like stood out to you as like truly bullshit? Well, I mean, being able to play Luke Skywalker in a Star Wars game is pretty. Is up that there important in terms of? You think? I mean, <laughs> he's a he's the main character. Of- <laughs> do, you need, do you need him though? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I could do without him. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, originally it was like, 
before they changed everything, it was like something like it was close to 260 hours to unlock every hero. <laughs> that it was really bad and what my frustration also came from daily crates Mm -hmm. they're just insulting yeah they're insulting. there's they haven't they haven't changed it because i mean some this isn't done by like some machine or some robot some person punched in these numbers you know it's not just randomly generated someone said hey darth vader is sixty thousand credits and a daily crate will have 125 credits in it Right. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so a bit you had, frustrating. Uh, yeah. So you had blocked off time from work. You'd allowed yourself a few days to really invest in this game, not knowing how you would end up investing that time. But still, you you had some free time. You didn't have to get up in the morning. So you stay up late grinding mm-hmm. and recording the data and writing this post. It goes up at like four in the morning. And you're up for a couple more hours kind of responding and and tracking replies before you finally take a nap, your work done. So what was the initial response like? And I guess the subsequent response of just seeing it spread like wildfire leading right up to the EA official response. (laughs) Yeah, it was really crazy that first night because I posted it at like 4 a.m. Eastern time for me because I had stayed up playing it. You know, and uh, I did get responses like initially and people were like, what? And people were like, you know, because actually I didn't, I don't know if I told you this before, but I posted on Reddit like before this, but the title was different. The title was just like Galactic Assault Analysis Spreadsheet. And Mm. I got like no views on it, like no views on the post. And I was like. Well, I mean, there's solid information here and there's things people need to see. So what is going to be the grabby Reddit, you know, title? <laughs> not spreadsheet, apparently. The, the, the grabby title here. is not Get your spreadsheet. The title is <laughs> right. 40 hours to unlock Darth Vader, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so once I deleted that old post and reposted it with like the 40 hours, that's when people started commenting on it. And the initial reaction was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I don't like this. And then I also got people that were like kind of like trying to be not apologists, but saying like, hey, you also get credits from challenges because my numbers don't have that factored in. And so that's what prompted me the next day to record everything in the challenges and and lay out for everyone. Hey, this is the total amount you can possibly get from challenges. So it was really from the start. It was exciting to see my post blow up like people commenting and being responsive to it. But it was also still about informing people about, you know, the game and, and like the systems in the game, keeping everyone informed really is important. Um, the, uh, of course, then EA responded uh, on Reddit and various other places, but uh, mm-hmm. they've, the EA community team posted a Reddit post in response to, I don't think not your, did did, did they, on no, it thread? wasn't mine. Right, not it wasn't. Thread. It was someone reacting to mine. So That's I right. posted, and then they somebody made another post that said, "I paid eighty dollars to yeah. have Vader locked." Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. And uh, they're, uh, I'll I'll read EA's uh, community team, EA community team. Their post: the intent is to provide players with a sense of pride, an accomplishment for unlocking different heroes, which takes a week. A full work week. As for the cost, we selected initial values based upon data from the open beta and other adjustments made to be milestone rewards before launch. Among other things, we're laying an average 
per player credit earn rates on a daily basis, and we'll be making constant adjustments to ensure that players have challenges that are compelling, rewarding, and of course, attainable via gameplay over like long periods of time. We appreciate the candid feedback and the passion the community has put forth around the current topic here on Reddit, our forums, and across numerous social media outlets. Uh, currently at negative 673,000. <laughs> I think Reddit admins blocked it off at some point. They had to lock it because it was considered, uh, you know, flaming or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is? I mean, so what is? When you saw that response, did you have any particular uh, reaction to it? Well, it doesn't sound like a human. <laughs> it, does, it, <laughs> it really. It just sounds like someone is just. They don't have all the information, but they're trying to put a PR statement out there right. that's like, "Hey, we're listening." And I understand that they're listening. You could have just wrote, "We're listening," but uh, all the other stuff is just like. You know, trying to provide players with a sense of pride and accomplishment is kind of a meme now. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. yes, that's what kind of all games do is provide you with right. a sense of accomplishment. So it's the way they went about answering it, I think, was just wrong. Yeah. It would have been more apt mm -hmm. to have a developer, you know, someone with actual information um, to respond to it. What's the proudest you've ever been to unlock a character? Like, I don't know. Is it what is it in uh, Super Smash Brothers? It's like Mew. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna like, say that play, too. Yeah. How many hours do you have to play to unlock Mew in that game? I forget. I don't know. Didn't make a spreadsheet for that <laughs> yeah, one. Exactly. So, <laughs> so there was then a somewhat more satisfactory response the next day from an EA Dice developer who announced that they would be slashing the unlock cost for these characters by 75%, which, I mean, 75%, that's not like a small tweak. <laughs> so do you have any theory about what they were thinking? Were they not cognizant of just how upset people would be and how difficult it would be to unlock these characters did they know but just thought no one else would notice and they'd just be able to prey on people who didn't notice i mean i'm asking you to speculate here but it's just yeah. such a rapid adjustment that it makes it, me wonder what was going through their minds yeah it was a very quick response and a very drastic one like 75 yes. percent is a very large cut to costs but <laughs> right <laughs> i just don't know I don't know what they were thinking putting that in there initially. Like, I think it would have been much different, actually, if it was different characters locked behind that same credit wall. If yeah. it was like those characters, like Luke and Vader were playable, but like to play as Bosk, you had to play for 40 hours. That would have been a different story because, you know, no, who wants to play as Bosk? Really? Like when it comes down to it? <laughs> Well, come do on. Half the, do half the <laughs> Star Wars fans know who Bosk is? <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> he's, he's actually pretty scene. fun to play in the game. I'll say that. He's got no, that little poison cloud. Come on. He's all Yeah, right. he's actually one of the more powerful heroes, ironically, <laughs> yeah. and he's available from the beginning. Yeah. He can, like, uh, jump into his poison cloud and heal indefinitely, indefinite, practically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but their response came really quickly, almost like it was, like they knew it was coming, you know? Um but I'm not saying that they they plan this out, you know, because obviously nothing has really gone to plan for them these past few weeks. I don't yeah. think. Uh, but it was really, really, 
I don't know. It was satisfying at the same time as it was disappointing that the system was still in pay- in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the whole credit, here, credit system. Here's my conspiracy theory. This is much like okay. this is much conspiracy like corner. my conspiracy. This is let's go to conspiracy corner. Much like uh, our conspiracy corner that uh, game developers purposefully don't buy enough server space when they release a new multiplayer game every, because every <laughs> Christmas you just can't play a game online. Like it's why is this still happening in 2017? Every time they release a game, here's what I think. I think they know that there's going to be an outcry, but they they didn't think it'd be like this. And they were hoping to take advantage of the few, you know, wealthy or and or affluent and or truly addicted Star Wars Battlefront fans who are going like, yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy Luke before right. the true backlash kicked in and they're like, oh, we're listening and we'll we'll bring it down. They just didn't think it would be this fast. <laughs> I think they were hoping yeah. to to reap a quick mm-hmm. buck. Uh huh. I can and definitely they see did that. extract some money from you, Connor, right? You did end up That's spending correct. some. That's yeah. <laughs> See, they got you. So, they got yeah. me. But it mine worked. was more of a more of like a test because I was yeah, trying to figure out. for research purposes. Yeah, I was trying to figure out because everyone was opening trooper crates, which have right. you know trooper star cards in them. Everyone was opening those to get their credits and everything to craft what they wanted. But I, the those are cost 4,000 credits. And hero crates cost 1,100 credits. And I was trying to see, like I was making another spreadsheet, of course, about how, like how many crates you need to open to be able to get a full set of epic star cards for your class. Right. And because each crate is guaranteed a certain amount of credits, it's uh, either like 35 or 50 for hero. And then um, I think it's like either 45 or 60 for Trooper. And so I was looking on YouTube, finding these people that were opening $100 worth of Trooper crates and just unedited footage because the only way to get good statistics <laughs> is because is if it's unedited. Because if someone's chopping up all the good crates, right, the stats are juked, you know? So I couldn't find any YouTube videos of people opening $100 worth of hero crates. I didn't have a hundred dollars uh-huh. to burn, but I could spend forty to do some research for the subreddit. So I bought uh-huh. forty dollars worth of crystals and opened a whole lot of hero crates to see if the average parts per crate was more worth your credits. And it turns out it was. Uh-huh. It cuts it cuts the time down uh, f- to earn an epic card from twenty four hours to sixteen hours if you wow. just open hero. Yeah, I think you can write that forty dollars off on your taxes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. a charitable donation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I saved probably a lot. Uh, I mean, I guess when they turn it back on, I'll save people some money. But currently, right. you can't even buy crystals. Yeah. So so things snowballed from there, obviously, mm-hmm. and EA ended up disabling microtransactions entirely, at least temporarily, right on the eve of the game actually coming out in its full public release, and. The the backlash has continued and EA's stock price has taken a hit. I hope you were shorting EA stock before you posted <laughs> what kind this of comment. Animal You'd be is, a wealthy man. Yeah, what kind right of now. animal is buying EA stock, by the way? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, <it's> like, <laughs> how how do you I mean, how responsible do you feel for this? Obviously it wasn't a solo effort. There mm-hmm. were many other people taking up this banner and marching side by side with you, but do you feel that the timing of your post, the way it was constructed, the way you presented this evidence led to 
everything else in some way? If we could go back, like, is there a butterfly effect? If we just erase your post from history, does all of this happen exactly the same way? Or do you think that there's a difference? I think I definitely made a difference, uh, but I certainly can't claim that I was the start of the entire thing. Like I may have been the first to really like have solid numbers, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that peop- other people playing e- EA Access at on launch night saw like, uh, maybe these numbers aren't exactly correct, but I don't know yeah. exactly how. Yeah. And so I think that this definitely, I don't know if it would have happened the same exact way, but people would have eventually gotten upset about this because once the early credits from challenges start to run out, I think that's what I, I think that's where I saved time by by making my post is that every everyone responding early on was like, hey, but you get a ton of credits from challenges. Yeah, but they stop about, you know, 12 right. to 15 hours in. And mm-hmm. so not everyone put that amount of time in initially before the game came out. So I think my post, I wish I had a snapshot of the subreddit right before I posted my <laughs> Thanks. It was just a joyous yeah, place. Just rainbows like, and rainbows running around. <laughs> and then I posted. I actually tried to go back in the time machine on the internet and see if I could grab a snapshot of it back then, because uh, I posted and then like I feel like everybody was waking up that next morning trying to like everyone was like, "Ooh, I wonder what all the cool Star Wars gifts from the EA Access are gonna look like." Everyone posting all their like, "Hey, I've got this," or I "Unlock this," or "This star card." And everyone yeah. came into the subreddit that next morning seeing like, oh, 40 hours to unlock Darth Vader and Luke. And it yeah. was just like, I think that initial information out there really helped kickstart this whole movement towards this isn't cool. EA, please give us some answers as to why this is like this. At my head, do you like the game? I, <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> is the, do you find the game enjoyable? <laughs> No, I really enjoy the gameplay, and I yeah. I think Starfighter Assault Mode is fantastic. Like if yes. they could get those guys to work on a new Rogue Squadron game or something, oh, I think yes, that would please. do really well. But I I mean the gameplay I really love. It's so it looks so authentically Star Wars, even with Darth Maul fighting Rey. I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> it, it breaks the canon in a little bit. You know, but it's just <laughs> the gameplay is just so much fun, and. uh I, it really breaks my heart because I, whenever I'm playing now, I don't play nearly as much as I did at the start. Whenever I'm playing now, though, it's like I don't really feel like I'm working towards something mm. anymore. It's like every every credit I earn is just going to be randomly turned into something else instead of like me choosing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what, at least that's what it feels like. Right, because yeah, uh, yeah, I think we we agree. Like the crate the, system, yeah, yeah. The, the bones of the game are good. We enjoy mm-hmm. them. We wish it weren't marred by all this other stuff, and especially for you, because this was your most anticipated game of the year, and you're a mm-hmm. lifelong Battlefront fan. You were looking forward to this so much that it's just a, a shame that this had to be the story surrounding the game. So. Is there a way you think that EA could re-implement the microtransactions or, you know, are you against microtransactions in general or do you think it's just all about the way that they work in a, in a certain game? I honestly, I don't mind because I understand that games cost a lot of money and EA probably pays a lot of money to have the Star Wars license. Mm-hmm. So it's understandable. But I just wish that they, for me, it's all about respect and like EA respecting the player's time and their money. Um, I just, 
I don't feel like randomization and like loot boxes really respect players and consumers. It's like, hey, we're gonna get you to overspend for the thing you want. Like if there's like a you know a cool skin trapped in a box, I have to overspend to get it rather than just sell it to me for five dollars, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if there was if I would be okay with it if Dice came back and was like, hey, we're just implementing a store and there's a list of like maybe like a weekly item store and then like one you can buy at any time or it's like hey this Django Fett skin for Boba is available this month only for this amount and you can buy it with either credits you earn in the game or crystals that you buy with money but it's obviously going to be more credits than it is crystals because you need to incentivize like actually actual achievement and like actually grinding to earn something i understand that but it's it's just i felt like the way it was implemented, it just felt like they took the ultimate team model they have from FIFA and mm-hmm. tried to jam it into the to the Star Wars, and it yeah. doesn't work, especially since um, FIFA and Madden have a separate... It's Ultimate Team is a separate thing. Like You buy the $60 FIFA, you can play the single player, you can play the multiplayer devoid of microtransactions, and then separately, if you want to compete with people you can go into ultimate team and spend money. And basically it's just a war of like, Hey, I spent more money than you. Look what I have. Yeah. But when you try to jam that system into the $60 star Wars battlefront two experience, it makes it so that people get overly frustrated with somebody when somebody beats them. Like when somebody kills me in a match, I, it, it could just be that that guy spent more money than me. Yeah. That's, that's, no, that's, that's the issue to, to me. Skins, you know, whatever. If I have to pay a little bit more for a skin because that's something I want, that doesn't bother me mm-hmm. as much. But I mean, you're talking Luke and and Darth. These are these are game changing heroes. Like when that when you hear Darth come into the game, like he can swing a match. It's the same thing mm-hmm. with with uh, some of the the legendary cards for your thermal detonator, etc. Like those things yeah. really swing a match. You're not going to win if you don't have those things. That's where I have a pr- an issue with microtransactions. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think Starfighter Assault is uh, p- particularly egregious with that because some yeah. of the cards just like boost your damage output by output by a seventy five percent or whatever it is at the maximum level, and yeah. it's just like that is a that is a clear advantage that you can just pay for. And I think that's yeah. why so many players got upset. It's because it doesn't respect people who just buy the sixty dollar game and expect it to be a game that they can compete in if it's a multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's you really are frustrating, a, yeah. A hero to all of us. Yeah, you've, you you're... were out there first into the breach and <laughs> your voice was heard. So which mega corporation are you taking down next? <laughs> uh I don't know. Um I'm just praying <laughs> that this doesn't happen with Anthem because I love BioWare oh. and I and I would yeah. hate to have to make another spreadsheet EA, are you listening? Don't make me do this. <laughs> Is that a threat, Connor? No, it's not. <laughs> well, yeah, we hope that more games will not force you to do this, but we were glad that you were there when you yep. were to gather this data and present it the way you did. And I mean, who knows where this will lead? 
regulations, government intervention, industry overhaul. Who knows what role you played here? We'll never be able to tell exactly what would have happened if not for the fortuitous timing of this post. But it seemed to at least save some people maybe from spending some money in Battlefront 2 that they didn't have to. So that alone is probably a, a worthy accomplishment that you can feel proud of. I do feel proud and I'm glad that I could help uh, the community out, you know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully if it comes back, when it comes back, it's better than the system that was there at first. Yes, Yes. It, would, it almost has to be. <laughs> It'd be hard to be equally bad or yes. worse, I think. It's very, so. it would be very, I mean, they cut it by like 75%, <laughs> like the needed, <laughs> the needed credit. So yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be tough. Right. All right. Well, Connor, thank you very much for the post and thank for you. sharing your story and keep, keep up the good fight. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, so we'll take a quick break here from our sponsors and hear from Jason in his dramatic ad reading voice. And we'll be back to talk about Overwatch with Jacob Wolf of ESPN. Student loans can completely wipe you out if you don't get a handle on them. How are you going to be getting games if you're weighed down by student loans? How do you get out from under this load? Credible.com. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's one option. <laughs> How do you get out from under this load without getting in trouble with the government? Is maybe a better question. Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing and using their simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. Plus, you can save thousands. Do you have any video games you can buy with thousands? By refinancing. All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash AO. Answer a few quick questions and right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates, but real ones from multiple lenders. Credible.com is a completely free service to use. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. You can afford an Xbox One X for that amount of money. Almost. Pretty close. Think about what you could do with $19,000. And for a limited time, our listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash AO. So pay off your student loans faster or lower your monthly payment. Whatever works for you, just go to Credible.com slash AO. There are only two words you need to remember while making your list and checking it twice this holiday season. Tommy John, the revolutionary men's underwear brand that's redefined comfort for guys everywhere, including me. All Tommy John underwear is crafted from lightweight, breathable fabrics that move with you, never against you. That means the legs never ride up, the waistband never rolls down And it's impossible to get a wedgie. Tommy John underwear also features a game-changing horizontal quick-draw fly plus a breathable contour pouch to nestle the goods. Innovation never takes a day off at Tommy John, even during the holidays. They're constantly thinking of new ways to help guys feel more comfortable, like patented undershirts that stay tucked in and pull perspiration right off your body. Socks with proprietary stay-up technology and a whole lot more. 
Plus, all the Tommy John underwear is backed by their best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. With over half a million men upgraded to a more comfortable life, there's only one Tommy John. No adjustment needed. Give the gift of life-changing comfort for the holidays to yourself or someone else with Tommy John. Go to TommyJohn.com slash achievement for 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash achievement for 20% off. Plus get extra savings with exclusive holiday daily deals only at TommyJohn.com slash achievement. All right, so we are joined now by Jacob Wolf. He is a reporter at ESPN. He is the co-host of the ESPN Esports podcast, and he is, as of now, our go-to authority on the Overwatch League, which yeah. is launching, at least the preseason is launching next week. So we want to ask him about everything we need to know and everything we still don't know, all the questions and issues still surrounding this league. So Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I listen to you guys, your guys' podcast a lot, so it's nice to be on there. Awesome. Thank you. It's nice to have you. Yeah. So Overwatch League gets started, what, next Wednesday, right? You'll be in L.A. It's Wednesday through Saturday, and this is kind of the dry run, and then the actual games that count start up in early January. So for people who haven't been reading your work as they should have been, mm-hmm. haven't been following the Overwatch League, can you give us the basic background? What does this league look like? I know that's a broad question. It's like, describe the NBA or something. That's that's a big question. But describe the Overwatch League and how it differs and how it's the same compared to other existing esports leagues. So this league is 12 owners, uh, a lot of them from traditional sports. It is geolocated, which is very abnormal for esports, but very similar right. to traditional sports like the NBA and the NFL and the MLB. Uh, so your ownership are... They own slots in Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Miami slash Orlando, Houston, Dallas, San Francisco, two in L.A., one in Seoul, one in Shanghai, and one in London. And I believe mm. that is all 12. I don't Jason, think it's a tough one. choice for you. You're yeah, going to have to pick an L.A. team. Well, I, you know, I'll have to really go into, uh, you know, the relative strengths and weaknesses, but I think I'll, I'll stick with, the new, with New York for now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the ownership behind some of these teams include people like the Kroenke family of the Denver Nuggets, the uh, Arsenal Football Club and the Los Angeles Rams, and also like the Kraft family of the Patriots and the Revolution in New England and uh, the Wilpon family that own the New York Mets, among others. Mm-hmm. Right. And you Will have Pons, to be uh, a, a mega rich owner right. to own an Overwatch League team because it's pretty pricey. Yeah, the buy-in price was twenty million dollars over time. <laughs> that was now that was that, that that number was rumored for a while before you know actually being confirmed. But why is it that much? I think that it is um, trying to maximize on the Blizzard perspective of things, maximize what people are willing to pay for esports right now. The pitch that I understand that many of these owners got was that this could be the future of esports because it's young. It's not a game that's been around for the last four or five years like League of Legends. So this is a chance to be a part of a brand new sports league. And that's kind of the way that was phrased to both internal and external ownership outside of the esports space. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can see why it would be appealing just because if you look at every Mm -hmm. other sports league, (laughs) sports teams have been a pretty good investment for owners over the last few decades. So I can see why you would want to get in on the ground level or or at least be tempted to. So I guess what do we know about 
where Overwatch is as an esport, forget about the league for a second, but just about the common people who are playing or not playing Overwatch. Has it caught on to the degree that other esports that have been successful as leagues have? And if not, why not? I would say that the conversion rate from casual player to esports player is awful in every esports game. Yeah. I think mm. that that is something that obviously everyone wants to maximize. But I mean, even League of Legends, which is the biggest esport in the world, its conversion rate from casual player who plays maybe one game a month to someone who watches an esports broadcast, much less plays at an esports competitive level. Uh, I would say that conversion rate is awful and it is in every game. Um, but I mean, League of Legends is still very much a profitable or becoming a profitable venture, even with that conversion rate not being so great. So um, I would say Overwatch is definitely smaller than your League of Legends, Counter-Strike Global Offensive and Dota 2, which I would consider like the big three esports. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that with the marketing power of Blizzard Entertainment, they hope to make it bigger than those. And that's really the big question. That's kind of the – I mean, it, it is really interesting when you look at the, st- the streaming numbers on Twitch, which is obviously kind of anecdotal, or YouTube. Um, it does seem like for a game that's positioning itself as the sport of the future, the eSport of the future, um, not super popular. So, like, what what if, – if I'm Blizzard and I'm making my pitch to the Wilpons or to the Cronkies, like, what is my pitch to them? Well, my understanding is that the pitch was actually very focused on the success of other esports, which mm-hmm. I think is a little disingenuous, but I don't think it's t- a terrible idea internally. Um, the pitch deck that went out to to ownership, uh, the pitch deck that went out to ownership earlier in the year, and this went out to my understanding a almost over a thousand owners. Um, at least I think that this pitch deck from my understanding was about five pages and it included numbers from League of Legends mm. and Dota and Counter-Strike and say, look at what esports has done it's- and look what we can do, do similarly and create something special together. That is a bit, I mean, it is a bit dis- like that feels, and obviously like this is uncharitable what I'm about to say, but it feels a bit like they're preying on like a bunch of guys who have a lot of money, who don't really know, uh, the medium so they're i mean it's essentially like saying hey guys golf is really popular so why not tennis you know what i mean <laughs> yeah I, and that is the the real question right can you market esports instead of games individually esports is a word that is didn't really exist i would say even like eight years ago nine years ago it was just one game individually and i think that esports has been created as a term to be a collective but you can't compare in my opinion like league of legends to rocket league or call of duty because they are two different audiences that consume things differently and i tell people all the time both here at work and people that i meet that don't really understand the space is that each esport is like covering a different sport because the audience consumes content differently the audience plays different things. There's usually people that there's very small amount of people that play multiple games in the esports space. Maybe they'll play in the same genre. So like a Counter-Strike person might give Call of Duty a swing or a Counter-Strike person might give Player Unknown Battlegrounds a swing. Right. Um, but it's very unlikely that you have someone who plays League of Legends a lot, but also plays Counter-Strike a lot as well. And that's like, because those are two different games. So it's all, you're right. It is almost comparing like tennis to golf or like football to basketball. But a lot of people don't seem to understand that because they don't know the space well enough to get 
So how do you expect the geolocated nature of the league? As you mentioned, the teams are tied to cities, and in theory, at least, they will stay put, and they'll be able to develop some kind of connection to the community. And obviously, this is the way traditional sports work. We're used to this. And so we know that that model can work. And maybe this makes it more appealing to people who are coming to this, not having a background in esports, but just being familiar with basketball, football, baseball, etc. It's maybe more of a, a natural transition. But this is not typically the way that esports have worked. So do you see it being an obstacle to adoption or more of an asset? I'm really not sure. That's a good question. You know, I grew up in Atlanta and my favorite sports teams are the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. And I watch a lot of them uh, on Saturdays and throughout the week or Sundays and throughout the week. Sorry. Um, and I I would say that geolocation doesn't matter as much in esports, in my personal opinion. I think that esports people connect more with players just like they do in the NBA, right? Like there are as many Cleveland fans that burned LeBron jerseys when he left and went to the Heat. There were probably an equal amount of people or a similar amount of people who also went and watched LeBron LeBron play in Miami games because they liked LeBron and not the Cavs, right? Because he was a superstar. Mm -hmm. And I think that esports is very similar where it is a star-based thing rather than a team-based experience. So I think that geolocation was used strategically by Blizzard to get some of these ownership groups to buy in Mm. because it's very easy for them to understand geolocation. And there's actually a higher number of NFL and MLB owners in the Overwatch League that are not invested in other parts of Uh esports. You see people that got into the fold through the Overwatch League. You look at like Kenneth Hirsch, who is a big part of the ownership group of the Texas Rangers. And he got invested into Team Envy, which owns an Overwatch team, because he knows Bobby Kotick, who is the Activision Blizzard CEO. And the same thing with the Crockies and the Crafts. They don't own anything else in other games. And they came to this league specifically because they knew Bobby and they knew the people at Blizzard and they trust those people. So I think that geolocation was something to kind of help them understand esports and what esports was and and what it could be. And I don't think from a fan perspective, it necessarily has a huge effect, but I could Mm -hmm. be wrong. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as much as we talk about rooting for laundry in sports and you're loyal to the name and the uniform more so than the individual players, you still develop bonds with the players. And I think it would be an impediment to other sports if the entire rosters turned over every year. Obviously, there is a lot of turnover, but esports probably more turnover than your typical batter ball sport. So, do you think that the conditions in this league are conducive to having some stability? Do you expect the top players to just be rotating constantly? Or is it possible that we'll be seeing the same stars tied to the same teams in the same cities year after year? Well, there's several players who have been tied to their franchises for a while, two years-ish, because that is how long the game's been around. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Dallas Fuel roster is the same roster that played for Team Envious, which uh-huh. is their parent company. And the same thing for like Misfits and the Florida Mayhem. And so I do expect there to be a little bit more loyalty, but I do think if you see like one of those uh, teams that are very familiar with esports and know what to expect of their teams, if you see them bottom out and not play well, you'll probably see roster turnover. And I think that that's just because roster decision making from general managers and executives in esports teams is a lot more impulsive than they are in traditional sports. Now, what did, is there. Um, there is not yet uh, some kind of collective bargaining agreement or um, set minimum salary or anything of that nature. 
Do you expect that to come at some point as the Overwatch League and esports writ large kind of become more entrenched, especially uh, here in America? There actually is a set salary, minimum salary. Oh. There's not a CBA. You're correct. Uh, I believe the set minimum salary. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's it hovers 50, around like fifty to sixty thousand yeah. dollars a year. That's not bad. Yeah, fifty thousand. Yeah. So it's not it's not terrible. I mean, there are top players in the Overwatch League, and there's now a lot of players in League of Legends that get paid a lot more than that. But like, that's not bad considering i think what a lot of people don't consider when you talk about esports salaries is that this it excludes cost of living right so when you're a traditional athlete you don't live in a field house you live at your own house that you pay for and you have the mortgage for or multiple houses in the case of some of the higher paid athletes in esports though your food is paid for your living expenses are paid for you really don't have to pay for anything unless you want to so you know, you're making 50000 a year, but you're probably pocketing a lot of that money, too, because you're not having to pay rent. You're not having to pay a mortgage. Uh, you're really not having to pay for anything to make yourself live because the team's paying for that, too. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're, we're heading into the preseason now, but is, is there anything in the way of rankings or what do we expect to in terms of the team's power rankings? Who's who's who do we expect to be the best, say, three or four teams in the, in the league so far? I would say the Dallas Fuel is definitely the best American team. Um, or the, the best Western team. I think that the Seoul Dynasty are really good because they've been good for a while. They were the lunatic high roster that were really dominant in Overwatch like for a while. It's like not fair. It's like kind of, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Is it? I mean, I mean in, in theory, like in theory, I mean, the Wilpons picked up a full Korean roster that was really good in Apex as well. And so, and as did the London Spitfire, right? Yeah. The London Spitfire get a lot of, get a lot of heat because, uh, their roster is entirely South Korean. Yeah, they're a London. They represent London as a team, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, but I mean, so I expect like the Seoul Dynasty, the Dallas Fuel, and the London Spitfire to probably be the best teams in the league because they've played together for a while. They have synergy that they don't have to build over the next couple of months, right. and they are proven teams in prior history of Overwatch. Mm -hmm. So in this first season, all the teams are just playing each other in L.A., right? Is that how it's working? But then yes. in future seasons, they'll be in their home cities. There will be road trips, home and away games, etc. So what do we know about the spectator experience? Where will these games be held? And you know, both in person and online, broadcast-wise, what is an Overwatch League game going to look like? Uh, yeah, so you're correct. They haven't announced at what point this league geolocates. Um, I've heard even publicly there's been some talk about this, that there's a chance that it's not until even after season two, but they huh. haven't kind of given a timeline. Season one is definitely in Los Angeles, and Blizzard actually just finished building, and they opened in October with an Overwatch event, a arena in Burbank at the Burbank Studios, which is where, like, I believe the old Jay Leno show was filmed. Um, <laughs> there, there's a bunch of stuff there. Yeah. So it's actually, I'm excited to get to see it next week. Uh, next week is the soft launch, as you mentioned of the Overwatch League at that arena. Um, the arena is not huge, but it definitely holds like a decent live audience. Uh, Riot Games has done the same thing in Santa Monica with their arena, which crossed the street from their office buildings. And so there will be this arena that you can go watch it in person in Los Angeles, and they've already started selling tickets. And then there will be a uh, live stream, presumably on Twitch, but they have not announced their broadcasting partner. Mm. And how does Overwatch stack up as a remote broadcasting, you know, spectator experience compared to other popular esports, in your opinion? 
It's actually had a terrible issue with spectating over the last couple of months. Uh, spectating in Overwatch is extremely difficult unless you play the game. Mm-hmm. They've been working on that. They debuted a new spectating client at BlizzCon for yeah. the Overwatch World Cup, which I actually got to see, and I think it's a little better, but, like, I'm not the consumer. I play Overwatch, right. so, like, I understand the game a little bit more than the average viewer. Um, so it did improve certain things. It it put a map top-down menu or, like, top-down view where you can see icons of people moving around, which was big. And then it also team-colored. So, like, right. if you're the Houston Outlaws and you have green, your abilities are going to be green. And so presumably if there's one person on the Dallas Field is playing Junkrat and another person on the Houston Outlaws that are playing Junkrat, one tire will be highlighted in green, the other tire will be highlighted in blue. And you should be able, in theory, to identify whose Junkrat tire is. Yeah, that's been, an, that's um, been a really annoying thing in the past before this, the color-coded switch seems like such a simple thing. But, like, you know, one team would be would have red, but, the, but their outlining special effect would be in blue, and it would just be super annoying. It was actually very difficult in general because uh, Overwatch is what I like to call a FPS with MOBA colors. Yep. Uh, so uh, League of Legends and Dota have a ton of colors, but they are a top-down view. So you don't, you're not overwhelmed with colors in your face. Uh, what Overwatch is from a first-person perspective, and so it's all in front of you, and it's almost nauseating, or was at one point. It's a little better now, as I mentioned. But uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a hard game to spectate. And my biggest concern has always been, I don't think this league is unsustainable in esports, but I do think this league may be unsustainable for Overwatch. Mm. Mm. Explain uh-huh. that. What you mean by that? So I think that uh, generally a league with twenty million dollar buy-ins and all the contract terms of this league can be done in esports. You look at uh, actually have a piece column that I wrote where I had several sports owners who applied for the LCS Riots League, and they said they would pay $20 million for a spot in that league, even though the buy-in was only 10. And that if Overwatch was lower, they would have paid, but they think that the risk of Overwatch is not worth the price point. So I do think that a league with this much ambition can work in esports, but I don't know if Overwatch, given its popularity and its history in esports, is the game that would make this league successful. And has there been any outreach to older media venues? I mean, is there a way to kind of reach out to people who are not on Twitch? Is this mostly going to be streaming through esports platforms online or are they going to pursue partnerships with, you know, cable channels and places like that? I would say that they uh, definitely have explored and probably will find a linear television partner. I'm not sure which one yet, and I'm not mm-hmm. just saying that because I work at one. Um, <laughs> I generally think they will. I generally think they will find one, and uh, when they do, I will certainly report on that. I think that's something that will happen before January or around January when the actual league launches. Uh, but they actually put the Overwatch World Cup on Disney XD at one point. Oh, whoa! I didn't yeah, know. So right. that's. That's a thing. Uh, they definitely want to hit audiences that are outside of the normal esports audience on Twitch. Uh, it's just not been determined yet. Um, mm-hmm. This is more of an anecdotal question, but um, when you talk about what you write about to people like who aren't super versed in the space, do people know what you're talking about now? Like that, that's like you know, just talking about esports with people randomly. I've noticed that more and more people seem to be aware of it as a thing, even if they don't truly understand like what's going on i would say that the awareness is getting bigger and bigger over time 
I still think there's a lot of people that don't understand it, but I think that's going to change. I mean, people know what video games sure. are, right? Like, I don't think I don't think there's many people in modern day America that don't know what a video game is. Um, that's very common. And the biggest thing I hear when I try to explain it is, well, why the hell would you watch someone play video right. games? And my my rebuttal to that is always, well, why the hell do you watch anyone play football? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. and it's similar right like you you may have played football in high school or maybe even college if you're lucky and now you want to watch football in the future because it entertains you and it's something you have history with it's the same thing with esports right like you are a video game player but you're not good enough to be pro but you want to watch people who are mm-hmm. it's, it's the same idea yeah. in my opinion at Just least fewer head um, injuries yeah Right. Yeah. For now. Uh, so I, yeah. Uh, well, we we're starting to get a lot of hand and wrist injuries. That's yes, the yeah. that's right. the next esports killer is the wrist. Yes. Um, and so I think that it's becoming more aware. And I think that with the two leagues that have franchised this year, the Overwatch League and the League Championship Series, I think that the marketing push behind both of those will make it make people more aware. And generally, I think one thing that Blizzard has done really well is that. The top of Blizzard, like Bobby Kotick, uh, who's the CEO of Activision Blizzard, he is very connected in the 1% of the Western world in particular, but just in general. Um, and he Blizzard made a lot of people aware of esports for the first time that did not know it in terms of people who have wealth. So I think that both companies will make people more aware of esports. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, what, uh, six figures or, well, let's see, we've got 300,000 prize for first place in the regular season and then some additional prizes for stage title matches. And then you have the first place in the championship prize pool. That's a $1 million prize. So there's there's stakes here. There's some incentives for these people to, to play well and, you know, for for casual observers even to get invested in these games. So when you're watching the exhibition games next week, in addition to, I guess, just scouting the teams and the players, are you going to be trying to glean anything about the league itself and the presentation and the long-term prospects? Are you expecting to learn anything from this first glimpse? And if so, what will you be paying the closest attention to? Uh, so I'm actually on a specific assignment next week in terms uh-huh. of the Overwatch League. Nothing nothing too pressing, but uh, the majority of it is just kind of following up on what I've already done, which is business reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to learn more about the business of this league. Why does this league make economical sense to some people? Why are they willing to throw $20 million at this? plus whatever they do in operating Mm -hmm. expenses. Um, So I'm really curious about what the theory is on on return on investment. That's the biggest thing for me. Um, I know a lot about the game. I've seen the game a lot. I've watched a lot of competitions Overwatch over the last two years. So I'm not, like, I do want to see how the new spectator looks with a little bit more training because it was a little wonky at BlizzCon. Um, But I am not too invested yet on like team performance because i think that comes more during the regular season mm-hmm. and how does overwatch compare to other established esports just in the i guess the rapidity of changes to the meta and you know new characters and, and patches and nerfs and buffs and all of that that's something that maybe people coming from traditional sports there'd be a bit of a, a culture shock to see the actual game change at the rate that esports do so how does how does overwatch kind of stack up to other popular esports in that respect i think it's about the same i think that blizzard's game balance team which is separate from its esports team uh the game balance team has been very on top of creating new characters buffing and nerfing characters that need it 
Um, generally, I think that Blizzard is a fantastic game developer. My biggest question for Blizzard is, is they are they good enough to pull this very ambitious league off? <laughs> so it's not, I don't have any concerns when it comes to game patching and things like that. I think that that's, it's standard part of the course of the same as other esports. Mm -hmm. In terms of the visual language, like, you know, obviously getting new um, viewers into the game, people who maybe haven't played the game, making it understandable to them is, is going to be super important. The color coded um, changes that you just talked about go a long way towards doing that. But like what changes would would you like to see in, in terms of the broadcast and visual language to really make the game more accessible to people? So I think the top down view is a big thing and they've already done that. Um, I think think that dummy streams are really important mm. if they don't have plans to do them i'm not sure so this is something that league of legends has done during its world championship where you have like a dummy stream where essentially you explain the game to someone who's never seen it before you explain it in real time during a game and i think that that's very important for overwatch i hope i like i said i have no idea if blizzard's going to do it but i really hope that they do and uh i'm unsure if they will but yeah, I think that that's super important where you explain in real time what's going on, because obviously a lot of people are going to be lost unless you've played Overwatch before. Mm. So based on what you've seen with previous and, and now more established esports leagues, whether it's League or, or Dota or Counter-Strike, how will we know when or, or when and how will we know that this is working or not working? How, how will we be able to judge during season one, say, that it's making progress, it's heading in the right direction, or there are some scary signs? Like what sort of indicators should we and can we be looking at? Well, the first thing is reaching over 20,000 views on a regular season game, um, which uh -huh. has been a big problem for Overwatch is that Overwatch is not hit a high view count like League of Legends does during a regular season game. So I want to see like a mid-February, no stakes. It's not a playoff series or anything. It's literally just like two teams playing and, you know, just affecting the standings. I really want to see what that looks like and how many viewers that gets with the Blizzard marketing push. Yeah. Because uh, it's gotten nowhere near other games in the past. It's been probably like a regular season League of Legends games gets about 100,000 viewers in English. And uh, that's not the case for Overwatch. And so that that's the whole argument is that can Blizzard make it bigger? And I'm curious on on if they can answer that question. So I think seeing what that looks like and then also seeing what playoffs look like, where it's held, how many people attend in person compared to League of Legends. Like, I don't think Overwatch is big enough yet to sell out the Staples Center, which League of Legends has done twice. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that I don't expect it to be as big as League nearly out the gate uh, or Counter-Strike for that matter. Um, but I do want to see kind of what those viewing numbers are. And I think that we will hear a lot of feedback probably privately on some of the people who are invested in this league, like sponsors, like HBO and Intel, who just invested in this league for two to three years, I believe, which is uh, obviously a very large investment for those companies. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm very curious to see what, what that looks like and see what that return on investment is, because I don't think you're getting a return on investment on this league for at least five years. Mm -hmm. Well, we are also curious and yes. we will be looking to you to satisfy our curiosity. Maybe we can check in with you again down the road once this league really gets going and we'll look forward to your thoughts on the exhibition games next week. So everyone can follow Jacob at ESPN, either in written form or on the ESPN Esports podcast. And we appreciate it. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, thank you for having me.
All right, so that will do it for today. Jason and I opened up my podcast app this morning, and what did I hear but Binge Mode's music? Binge Mode is back. You're back. Binge Mode's back. We're back. Yeah, so if you want more Jason in your ears, and who doesn't, you can go catch him and our dear friend Mallory Rubin talking every week on Binge Mode. She is. But we will be back with our own show next week. I don't know what we'll talk about. We've got lots of things on the docket, but we'll be back. Same place, same time. You've been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Peace. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Using Credible's simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. You could save thousands by refinancing. Thousands. All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash AO, answer a few questions. Right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates from multiple lenders. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. And for a limited time, (laughs) my listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash AO. Again, that's Credible.com slash AO.